0: Y'all, what a great first week in the college baseball. And since this pitching class has been derided as being a weak group of college pitching, let's talk about those guys that had a great first outing and really set themselves up to climb in the, in the MLB draft. And since it's so hard to find a good p- catcher, some teams just make their own. I'll tell you all about it. Stay tuned. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on into Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer for Sports Illustrated. Thank you for making us your first listen every single day. And as we've been talking on these College Baseball Tuesdays in the previews, uh, the group of college pitching is kind of seen to be behind the hitters and behind the prep players as one of the weakest groups in this class. But they're also the first ones actually playing ball this year, so they've had a chance to start building that stock and rebuilding the reputation of college pitching. I want to talk about who had great weekends uh, on the mound for their teams and really kind of started to set themselves up as being a guy who who can be drafted high and can be one of the aces of college baseball. And you know what, let's go ahead and start with the reigning champion. So Mississippi State brought in the Long Beach State Dirtbags to play and side note, the Dirtbags is a great name for a team. It's not their official name, but like that's what they're called by the school. That's what all their merch says. The Dirt Long Beach State. If you're listening to this, hit me up. I want some. I want some Dirt Bags merch. Let's do this. So uh, Mississippi State and Long Beach State played this weekend. Landon Sims, Mississippi State pitcher, had a great outing. Seven innings, five hits, one unearned run with no walks and 13 strikeouts. I mean, just absolutely dominant on the mound and I believe he actually didn't get the win because Long Beach got that one unearned run and I think they actually came out and win the guy who he he went up against uh, pitcher Luis Ramirez went six innings no hits no earned runs two walks five strikeouts and I believe they bridged it to the bullpen and I want to say it ended up as like a three hitter and so Mississippi State lost that game but I mean, great performance on both sides from both pitchers, a classic pitching duel. You love to see stuff like that, especially a guy as dominant as a Landon Sims who can go out there and throw a lot. Um, Unherald guy who had a really great debut, Campbell pitcher Thomas Harrington. So a little bit of an older guy, trying to get himself established. Goes six innings against Appalachian State. One hit, no run, no walks. Love to see that. 13 strikeouts. Just absolutely dominant. One of those guys. We haven't obviously gotten to a preview yet that would talk about a Campbell. I think they're in kind of my mid-majors preview in a few weeks. But still, a guy who who goes out there and, I mean, you strike out 13 guys, you don't walk anybody. in only six innings. I mean, uh, he, faced, he faced 19 batters, struck out 13 of them. I mean, let's go. So, that's a good guy. Uh, someone we did talk about in one of our previews, uh, Florida pitcher Hunter Barco versus Liberty. I believe Florida actually lost this series to Liberty. Opening week of baseball has always got wild, wild results and stuff like that. But Hunter Barco, six innings pitched, one hit, no runs, one walk, 11 strikeouts on only 88 pitches. Pretty efficient outing. Uh, not quite on track to get him a mematics, but still one of those outings. Really efficient. Did pretty well. And then some guys we talked about actually just yesterday uh, with the ACC preview. But uh, Florida State had two great outings this weekend. Parker Messick versus James Madison went five and two-thirds, two hits, uh, one run. It was a solo shot. Two walks, 11 strikeouts. So great showing against James Madison. Not to be outdone. uh, Bryce Hubbard, five innings pitched, two hits, 13 strikeouts. So. Two great outings from Florida State pitchers there. Guys we mentioned in yesterday's preview. uh, I do think Florida State has one of the better pitching rotations in baseball. And I'm excited to see what they do this year. But just looked really good. Um, Look at guys playing high levels of competition. Maryland pitcher Nick Dean at Baylor. So, you remember from our Big 12 preview. Baseball crazy area there. Uh, Good, good conference. Uh, Nick Dean goes seven innings, four hits, no runs. One walk, eight strikeouts of a, of a pretty potent Baylor lineup. So another guy going to be draft eligible this year. You really think did pretty well. Um, the UConn-South Florida game had an interesting matchup. Okay, so UConn pitcher Austin Peterson. Five and two-thirds, five hits, one run, one walk, 13 strikeouts. Other side of that same coin... USF's pitcher, Jack Jaziak I think I have that right. Six innings pitched, two hits, two runs, no walks, seven strikeouts. I believe they both got no decisions and that game went on and was settled later. But then, um, kind of like one or two more good matchups. Indiana State pitcher, Matt Jasek versus BYU. Go six and a third, six hits, seven strikeouts of a pretty potent BYU lineup. And then Cal right-hand pitcher Josh White goes five and a third, three hits, two walks, ten strikeouts. So you're starting to see some of these college guys uh, flash some of this dominance. And again, the whole big thing behind us thinking it's a weak class when it comes to college pitchers is guys right, draft-eligible guys right now in college have thrown about half of the innings that a typical Draft like draft eligible pitcher in college would have thrown like on the aggregate, and it's because they lost 2020. It's because a lot of guys were trying to ramp back up in 21, and they had they had issues like workload issues, things like that. And so you know a lot of these guys just they have so much less production for us to see, and so we need to see them go out and do stuff like this. And I really like how a lot of teams, and this is becoming a bigger and bigger thing in college baseball, and I like it, how a lot of teams go out now and do a tournament that opening weekend where they're playing high levels of competition. I think about a team like Auburn. So Auburn went to uh, the State Farm College Baseball Showdown, and rather than bringing in a Sanford or somebody for three games at home, they get to go on the road, and they play three different Big 12 teams so they play Oklahoma on Friday night. Uh, Notre Dame transfer Tommy Sheehan starts, only goes an inning. Uh, looks okay, but you know he's recovering from a parcel, uh, partial TJ, so I get that. And then Saturday, they get uh, Junior Joseph Gonzalez up against Texas Tech. And the kid looks absolutely phenomenal. He has a chance to show off a better slider, uh, a newer two-seam fastball. Uh, really kind of confuses Jace Young. We talked about Jace Young, granting Big 12 Player of the Year, goes 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Uh, you know, Joseph Gonzalez has a chance to go out there and really kind of attack him and show this is what I have. This is my arsenal. This looks good. And then Trace Bright on Sunday for Auburn goes up against a Kansas State squad that doesn't have a ton of power, but uh, really fast on the bases. A lot of, you know, big on the running game, big on manufacturing runs, and is able to go out there and, and you know, throw five or six pretty dominant innings. And so... You have a better idea now of the quality of competition because you got to see that school play three different Power Five opponents in a weekend, and so you know. And there was some great stuff in this tournament. Texas Tech had a walk off win on Friday night against Michigan. So, like, I like the idea of doing something like that so that you can see a lot of um, other teams, and you can kind of see where all of this comes, like how they do against quality talent. I think that's a thing that we should work more on. Uh, you know, More teams should do that. In just a minute, on the note of the Long Beach State dirtbags, I want to talk a little bit about some of my uh, my favorite minor league team names. Uh, but first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. You guys have heard me talk about Built Bar. Uh, it is the only protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, and it's probably better than a candy bar. All, all Built Bars are covered 100% real chocolate. They're, uh, they're, they're tasty, they're delicious, they're filling. They usually have about 17 grams of protein and only 130 calories. And then if you're not in necessarily into the protein bars, they have all kinds of other products you can try. The puffs, protein-infused marshmallows. They have broth, they have gummies. They have a lot of different protein delivery mets. But the whole point is it's good for you. Um, all of the, the foods, the, the, the bars, the puffs, all that, 100 percent real chocolate and the flavors are great when it comes to the the bars. Peanut butter brownie is my favorite. They have cookies and cream, uh, which white chocolate, actually. Coconut almond, mint brownie. My wife just ate a cherry barcia the other day. She just keeps some stashed in her purse if she gets hungry at work. So it's great. So go to built.com, check out the list of all of the flavors, check out the recurring stuff, check out the 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 occasional limited time flavors you can sign up for their mailing list they'll actually tell you when those are changing but while you're there use uh, while you're at built.com use promo code locked15 to get 15% off your order that's promo code locked15 at built.com so when you're looking at minor league baseball teams and I love how they do this there's so many uh just Interesting and clever team names, and I think something I want to eventually do is have have a guest on, kind of like we did for the Rookie of the Year, and just kind of draft some of these great team names, or you know, graph some draft some of these great teams based on the thing we've, we've talked in, on the show before about the Trash Pandas, uh, the Rocket City Trash Pandas. That is Huntsville, Alabama. They uh, a trash panda is a raccoon. Huntsville is called the Rocket City because of NASA has a lot of stuff up there, um, and so. Rocket City Trash Pandas, like those are, you know, good ones. Some of them like, and the themes to these, the themes seem to be, it's some sort of regional in-joke or it's something that's like clever because of, you know, whether it's alliteration or rhyming or whatever. So like the alliteration, the Milwaukee Milkmen, that's a team where it has a local connection because of the dairies and things like that that were in Milwaukee but then you have the alliteration, and who doesn't love alliteration? Um, the out, you know, the making bacon. It's it's clever. It's you know it rhymes. That's you know the, that's why you have it. It's it just it flows off the tongue. So that's one of those where it's either the alliteration or the rhyming. The Lansing lug nuts. Another example of a team that is that has the has the alliteration thing going on. Uh, I was going to say the Sugarland Skeeters would be in there, but they just changed their name, uh, I think, to the Sugarland Space Cowboys. So maybe they still get credit for the alliteration. And then you know some of these teams obviously have have names that relate to to local stuff going on. Uh, the the Albuquerque Isotopes, uh, they are close to the I believe it's the uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, like the National Laboratory, and so the Isotopes are there because. You know, I believe it's because of the of the connection to the National Laboratory and all of that. Uh, Bakersfield train robbers. The train robbers, you know, Bakersfield is, was known for some crime and things like that. That's obviously something that relates to things that are local. Um, some of them are just like you know, the the normal corn belters. Uh, Utica unicorns. I forgot the Utica unicorns when we're talking about the alliteration. You kind of have to just, you have to acknowledge that. You have to talk about the alliteration. Um... But then some of these are just, we find an animal and we find a reason to to just make it around an animal or a, or a thing. Um, the Akron Rubber Ducks. Don't know the story behind the Akron Rubber Ducks? Um, the Birmingham Bloomfield Beavers. Another school, or another team, where you got the alliteration, you got the local animal that they're all known for. Um, obviously the trash pandas are part of that. The, the Utica Unicorns, I don't think they have unicorns in Utica. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, if you know of unicorns in Utica, let me know, please. Um, the Amarillo Sod Poodles, another school where you're kind of... Or school. Another team where you're, you're finding some sort of local connection. The Gray South Shore Railcats. love that. And then some of them are just... I'm not going to call them ridiculous, but they're just... They don't necessarily have a... Uh, like an obvious connection geographically, um, but it's an interesting and fun name. The Florence Y'alls. As somebody who uses y'all a lot, I enjoy that one. I I very much care for the Florence Y'alls. Uh, the Montgomery Biscuits. I actually have had season tickets to the Biscuits before. I live about an hour away from them. Uh, it's, it's great. They do actually... Um, they do actually throw out foil wrapped biscuits into the crowd when they like hit home runs and stuff. Uh, it's a little, a little tougher now because of the net and everything, but they, they work it out. They get for a while. They had a cannon. They would launch biscuits out of cannon. And then you realize kind of quickly that, uh, the force of the, the launch rips open the foil and you're just spraying bread all over the fans. Um, you know, the Rocky mountain vibes. It's a vibe, man. It's a vibe. Um, kind of, Curious of the story of some of these and I if you think it would be fun to get some of these teams try to get some money from the teams to come on the show by all means reach out let me know I'm on Twitter uh, at Crosby baseball just tell me you want to hear from people from some of these teams and get some explanations behind this vasslia Rawhide is one um, that I believe it's that single way of the of the Diamondbacks but they're one that I'm kind of curious. Where'd the rawhide come from? Why are, you know, why do we have the rawhide in there? The Burlington sock puppets, uh, it's Vermont. I've got to think that there's some sort of inside thing or in the city about, about, um, what a sock, like about the sock puppets, what that's about. It's probably something related to the history of the town. I would guess, uh, the Lakeland flying tigers. If I remember right there, that's an affiliate of the Detroit tigers but they don't want to be the Tigers. They're the Flying Tigers. Uh, I actually watched a spring training game in their park. Uh, First time I ever saw Ronald Acuna Jr. was at a Braves versus Tigers spring training game in that park. So uh, just interesting team names, really kind of fun. And I, I enjoy the creativity because you know that none, like at the major league level, none of the teams can have fun, almost ridiculous names like this. You look at, Like the, like the name changes we've seen recently is the guardians. It's, it's fine. Guardians is fine. It's just, there's nothing super exciting about it. It's not, it doesn't make you chuckle. It doesn't make you laugh. It's one, you know, it's not like the Canapolis cannonballers. Like it's, you know, it's just, we have to pick a name that like, or the Akron rubber ducks. I mean, we have to pick a name that is normal and logical and works and is not too out there. And that's just kind of how that works. And and so I enjoy that we get to have this uh, at the minor league level and we get to kind of have this fun. And I, you know, in in just a second, I want to talk to you about making catchers, about how a lot of teams have started to switch to this method of developing catching talent just simply because they don't have them. But before I do, uh, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline and football is over for the season. Uh, basketball still in full steam though both pro and college hoops and so whether it's latest odds player performance props things like that BetOnline.net is your number one spot for all your sports betting needs and it remains the best spot for all your sports scores and news and if you're not a fan of basketball that's fine BetOnline.net is your source for hockey boxing ufc uh right down to olympic coverage i think the olympics are still on. i usually watch a bunch of curling and that's about it from the winter olympics and i've barely caught any olympics this year The time zone difference is just too hard. But if you're a big Olympic person, you're big into that. BetOnline.net has stuff, um, has Olympic coverage on there. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action because BetOnline is where the game starts. Okay, so we've talked a lot recently about catchers and about how it is so difficult to evaluate catchers and how this year is the year of the catcher. I mean, 2022 is the year of the catcher. Seven different catchers are the number one prospect in their organization. Another three guys are number two in their organization and another three guys are number three in their organization. So 13 of the top 30, I guess, technically top 90 prospects. If you look at first, second, and third are catchers and having a good catcher is more valuable than ever. And I think part of this is one some of the star guys at catchers get moved off the position. You can kind of look all the way back through history. I mean, Bryce Harper's a recent example of a guy who got moved off of catcher, plays in the outfield. But even going back in history, two-time MVP Dale Murphy was a catcher and got moved to the outfield and third base and all of that. And so, you know, you, you will commonly see some guys get moved off. But then the big thing, and I've talked about this before, is there's just a lack of analytics available for the catching position. So... We have things, um, you know, we have catcher's ERA. We have some basic stuff to kind of evaluate the perform- you know, framing metrics to evaluate the performance of a catcher. But they're all explaining past stuff. And none of it really is that predictive. And the it, really, developing catchers is a numbers game. I think that's why you see 13 guys in the top 90 of prospects for their like of the of organizational top 3s you see 13 guys in there is because catching more than anything is a numbers game because you have to get they need to play fairly often they need to play 4 or 5 days a week you can't split time between two catchers evenly and develop them both so you have to have a guy at each level starting a majority of the games and then you have to have other guys available to come in if they're hurt give them a break, things like that, as well as, you know, talent in your academies and all of that because they they just, they need, they need reps. And then you have to be able to 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 watch them and scout them and talk to them and get to learn them because development isn't happening for catchers like you would expect. And, and there's a few reasons for that. So at college, you see a lot of situations now where college coaches are calling the games from the dugout. And, and this is the thing where uh, it's 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 really a disservice to the catcher but it's if you think about it, like it makes sense that the 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 managers would do that because the manager's job is not to like a college manager's job is not to develop talent for the major leagues. Uh, that is a thing that you obviously want to do uh, that is a thing where, like that is a a way to get players. That is a scouting point. That is a, rec- a a recruiting point. But these guys win and lose their jobs based off of win and losses. I win and lose their jobs, uh, keep and lose their jobs based off of wins and losses. And so their incentive is to win the games. So you see guys like a Henry Davis out of Louisville with Pirates first pick last year. He's got great, you know, you know he's got there's confidence in his bat and stuff like that. Uh, But there's always guys who are, they're going to kind of question their ability to fit behind the plate uh, because they didn't get the reps in college of actually calling plays and managing a staff themselves. And then you have seen a shift from, um, from high school catchers to college catchers. And it's because when you look at the high school catchers, the way that you scout them uh, is is tough because a lot of these high school kids were scouted through showcases. So it is it is infield practice, it is a couple games maybe, but most of it is infield practice and scrimmage and stuff like that. So you're able to look at them, you know, their 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 ability to throw down to the second, their ability to, you know, block a ball in the dirt, that kind of stuff. But it's hard to evaluate the intangibles. It's hard to evaluate um, the relationships they can build with a pitching staff and how well they can call a game because so much of this is either at the showcase level, either they're not actually in game scenarios or they're catching a bullpen. And so the pitcher's working on a specific thing. And so you can see, yeah, you can see how well they swing a bat. You can see how well they throw to second, their pop time, things like that. But you can't see how they do in-game. You can't see over the course of a season how they relate to the pitchers, how they handle a staff, how they take take a guy and deal with him as he goes through adversity. And so what you see now is a lot of teams just try to make their own catchers. Uh, Some are more successful at it than others. I think about a team that's trying to make catchers right now. I think about the about the Red Sox. The Red Sox are a team, so they've got uh, Chad Epperson's their organizational catching instructor. He's been there for more than a decade, and Jason Baritek is in as a, a special assistant and special instructor. Um, and that's a thing where like they they have taken like half a dozen guys, and they have moved them too catching because they just tried to find a guy who had the skills and the talent, the baseball IQ and the, the willingness to move and put in the work. Um, so think about something like they got a uh, Connor Wong in the Mookie Betts trade um, converted shortstop. Even a guy they have like Christian Vaca- Vasquez, who's going to be a free agent after the season. I think next season, maybe. Uh, he was a like a short uh, second baseman, shortstop guy that they moved to corner infield in the, in the low minors back in like the late two thousands. Well, now you know he's been catching for them for a while. They have a couple college guys: um, K- uh, Kentucky Cole Kansas Kansas's Jack Groshens, and Vandy's Stephen Scott, who they've moved to catcher. They they traded for a guy uh, Ronaldo Hernandez from Tampa. Uh, they drafted Nathan Hickey from Florida and. They've tried to adjust him to see if he can be a, a, a catcher. They took a high school infielder, uh, Daniel McElvany from California, and are, they're converting him. And the idea there is we're just going to look for specific traits and we're going to try to move, like find a guy who has the right traits to be successful. And by that, we mean the personal skills, the verbal skills, a decent enough arm, good baseball IQ, and then we're going to move them to catcher. Use their willingness to focus and to work to try to fit, find the next guy at catcher. Uh, some teams have been pretty successful with this. The Dodgers are a team I think about uh, was very successful. Austin Barnes, do you remember when he? I think it was uh, what was it? It was the oh, 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 I want to say it was the was it the 2020 World Series? He game six. He had like seven or eight pitchers he was like different pitchers that were throwing to him and um like he was a middle infielder with Miami and he was a guy that that um they got in the front uh in the Kike Hernandez deal and converted him over and it absolutely worked i think about Will Smith he was a college infielder going back russell martin was a third baseman and the dodgers have just shown a willingness to move a guy and it's worked out. And so I you know and and you've seen over time guys do multiple positions. Yogi Berra had a season where I think he caught like 60 games. He played like 70 games in the outfield. Dale Murphy was a, a was a catcher as a 4th pick of the draft. Started having throwing issues and they just um they just moved him to first and then to left and then to right and then to center he won two MVPs and five gold gloves. I mean, um was it Joe Torre went from catcher to third? So you see guys go both ways. Kyle Schorber was drafted as a catcher, but he's played the outfield in first base. Uh, Jorge Posada was, uh, I think, a second baseman, and he moved to catcher. So you see guys move both ways, but you see a lot of teams now, and I think Boston's the big example here, of just trying to make a focus on we're going to find those traits that you don't see in the analytics. We're going to look at guys with the makeup. We're going to look at guys with the baseball IQ, all of that kind of stuff who are hard workers and are willing to put in the work and the time, and we're going to move them to catcher and try to make it work. So I'm curious to see, of these 13 guys that are in the top three for their organization, I'm curious to see how many of them stick um, at catcher, simply because I feel like it's so it's been so hard for teams to find good, reliable catchers. A lot of the catchers who caught a lot of innings last year, I think Yadier Molina led the league in, in innings caught. Obviously, he's like 39. Um, you know, Real Muto was up there. Salvador Perez in his thirties, and so a lot of the full time, like work, like workhorse catchers are are older. And so I'm curious to see of all these young catchers, how many of them stick at catcher, and how many of them become that classic four to five days a week that we're used to seeing, five to six days a week. Uh, and then now that both leagues have the DH, how much do teams give guys, give catchers a rest and let them go DH for a day to keep their bat in the lineup versus uh, just sitting them for a day. And then how many of these young catchers, when they start to struggle, do the teams just move them to DH to keep their bat and then try to work with them in like bullpens and stuff to figure it out. I'm kind of curious to see that breakdown. That's a new change with the CBA. And whenever we do finally have baseball back, see what's going to happen. So, Excited for the rest of the week. This week we have a Phillies crossover coming tomorrow. It was a great conversation um, just about uh, the Phillies. I've got some listener questions in there for them, uh, both the minor league level uh, as well as the big league team, what's going to happen. And then we've got a farm Friday this weekend. We're, we're, we're talking some West teams. I believe it's National League West. Uh, obviously going to keep doing the College Baseball Tuesdays. There was a mailbag next Monday. If you have questions, uh, send them to me on Twitter. I'm at Crosby Baseball. Reach out to the show on Twitter at Locked On Farm. Or you can email us locked on MLB Prospects at gmail.com. But until then, this has been Locked on MLB Prospects. Um.